The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. For much of Tour's story so far, he's spent a lot of time alone. He has run into some other characters and he's spoken with them, but we haven't really had a secondary character stick around in the story for any real length of time yet. But now Ulmo has brought him together with Veranwi, and we get this section in the story for the first time, it seems, a protracted conversation, let's say. This goes on for a while, and they talk about a few different things, but what's so interesting to me about this section of the story and all of the dialogue here is not just how they decide what they're going to do, where they're going to go, but the little details that are dropped in here for the reader. You have to imagine that as Tolkien is writing these stories, that they need to serve two purposes at once. First of all, like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, if you are somebody who is new to his mythological universe, then you don't understand all of the background. You don't have the context of why this story is set at this period of time and what has gone on around it. So you have to clue in the reader a little bit to the past events and to why the world is the way it is during exactly this time period. But that also plays into the people who do have experience with the world, the mythology, because you can drop names and locations and events and they'll go, oh, I remember that. I get that. And then you can build out those details in a way that expands their knowledge of those events. So it does two different things. And like I've mentioned before, with old myths and fairy tales and things like that, sometimes you just drop a name and you don't explain any of it. And that's also normal in this style of writing. And in this section we're about to go through, we have this really cool conversation between the two characters and some archaic language, some old uses of words that are different than we might use them today but then also some details about what the world is actually like in a way that even though we've gone through the Silmarillion might still shine some extra light on the situation and the world during this darkening period toward the end of the first age.
So this conversation picks up from where we were on the last episode, and they are discussing the fact that they need to go. They need to leave. And we're about to get some details about what they're doing, where they're going, how they are going to take care of themselves, and the kinds of things they're concerned about in the situation. Veronway says, but now we must leave it and go in haste, referring to the location that they're at. And Tour says, yeah, or yay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Y-E-A, whatever you want to pronounce that as. And he then airs some of his concerns. He says, but whither you lead me and how far shall we not first take thought how we may fare in the wild? And if we may be long, how pass the harborless winter? What? This is a complex sentence. Okay, so basically, how are we going to take care of ourselves out in the wild? How do we feed our and protect our and shelter and all of that stuff ourselves? But also the use of the phrase how pass the harborless winter super interesting just like being out in the ocean on a boat without harbor how are they going to take care of themselves in the ocean of winter as it comes and using the sea language because both of their hearts are drawn to the sea it all wraps together and makes sense and you can see that Tour has concerns. He knows the world is a dangerous place. He knows food is hard to come by. So what are they going to do? Well, Veronwi answers, but reveals nothing about the specific path they will take. Because remember, the path to Gondolin is supposed to be a secret. But he does answer part of the question. First, he says, you know the strength of men, he says, meaning like, you, you know what you're capable of and how to take care of yourself and what you'll need to eat. You know how far you can go and how far you can push yourself. That's basically what he's saying there. Then he starts talking for himself and he says, as for me, I am of the Noldor. And this is one of those moments that both clues in new readers to what the Noldor even are, where they came from and what they're capable of. But those of us who have read more will also get a little bit of insight from this as well. He says, And long must be the hunger and cold the winter that shall slay the kin of those who passed the grinding ice. So he reveals two things. Basically, the Noldor are hardy. It takes a lot to bring them down. Also, we passed the grinding ice. Now, that sounds important if you don't understand what that means, and it's definitely important if you do. You know that these are the people who made their way through the north in order to get to Middle-earth from Valinor. He goes on and says, Yet how think you that we could labor countless days in the salt wastes of the sea? Or have you not heard of the waybread of the elves? And he reveals to him a secret. And this is one of the first times in these old works, these stories from the first age that we hear about waybread and we know about this from the lord of the rings galadriel in lothlorien gives the party the fellowship waybread in order to help with their journeys because this is a secret from the elves and it's an old secret from the elves because it goes back to at least this long ago but then we get even more detail about what this waybread is. It was used for travelers, but also people on the ocean, mariners. He says, 
and I keep still that which all mariners hold until the last. And he shows beneath his cloak a sealed wallet clasped on his belt. He has basically the equivalent of a Noldorian fanny pack with whey bread in it. And then he says, no water nor weather will harm it while it is sealed, but we must husband it until great need. This reveals a few things. First of all, he uses the word husband, and this isn't meant in the same way as like a reference between husband and wife so much as it is the archaic use of the term, which is used in like husbanding a horse or being the master of the house, someone who manages something with care. That's really what he's saying here. This isn't about a marriage. This is about careful management. And he says, we must husband it until great need, alluding to the fact that maybe he will share it. He goes on and says, and doubtless an outlaw or hunter may find other food ere the year worsens. So he's saying, we may only have this food to eat. This might be what has to sustain us. And the implications are just like out on the ocean until the very end. So we have something that will help us get there, will help feed us and give us strength but it may be all we have. Tour then responds, maybe, but not in all lands is it safe to hunt, be the game never so plentiful, and hunters tarry on the road. Basically, he's given some of his insight into what it would be like to be out there. Basically, it's dangerous, and this is one of his concerns. And after talking about this, they decide to get ready to leave. And these moments are always so interesting and they come up in Tolkien's work so commonly. Why would you detail what they put in their packs and, and those kinds of things, unless there's meaning in it? Why would you detail the beauty of a scene, the flowers on the side of the road and the types of trees, unless there's some sort of meaning in it? Well, there's meaning in this. It says, now Tour and Veronwi made ready to depart. Tour took with him the small bow and arrows that he had brought, beside the gear that he had taken from the hall. Now, so basically he, he packs up all the stuff. He takes the gear, remember the armor that he found. He takes a bow and arrows. So he's at least equipped and ready. And a bow and arrow can be used for self-defense. It can also be used to hunt. So it makes sense. But then he does something strange. But his spear upon which his name was written in the elven runes of the north, he set upon the wall in token that he had passed. You would think a spear would be valuable in the wild in case they come across some danger or enemies or creatures that he needs to defend himself from and he runs out of arrows or can no longer use the bow because they're too close. But he leaves it here and it has his name written on it in elven script specifically as a token that he had passed. Anybody who knows what was left here can put two and two together. The armor is gone, but Tours' spear is here. As if to say, thank you for leaving that for me. Here's a token. Or maybe here's evidence of who was here. Thanks for leaving that, possibly. 
And then we get a description about Veronwe. He only has a short sword. That's it. No arms had Veronwe save a short sword only. That's all. And it makes sense. He was just kind of coughed up out of the sea by Olmo. So maybe he still has a short sword, say, at his waist on his belt in a sheath or something like that. But other equipment would have been very difficult for him to keep with him. And he wouldn't have had heavy armor out on a boat. That that doesn't work very well. Because if you fall in the water, then you drown very quickly. Uh, it goes on. And we get a description about where they go, the path that they take. And there are some details in here. I'm not going to go over all of the details. Basically, they head into Beleriand. They go north and then eventually east back into Arid Withrin. So depending on the specific area and path they take, Tour may have more or less been at least familiar with these areas, with these woods and this region. He's kind of headed back towards the direction he came from roughly. Now, there is one line in this that really stands out to me. It says that now was but a green track between old turf clad dikes. And this is a reference to what the road is like. This is another one of those lines that reminds me of some of the lines that we get in things like the Lord of the Rings. This is an old road. It has been covered in green growth. It has not been maintained. Nobody has been using it. No horse's feet or carts or people's feet have been trampling the ground in order to keep it clear or has it been cleared on purpose. It is an old overgrown road. And these are those little details that make the world feel lived in, except in this case, not lived in. You get the idea. And then we get a description about this region and what it's like right now, how dangerous it actually is. It says, orcs now dwelt there and all the land was infested by the spies of Morgoth. We've heard lines like this a lot in the Silmarillion, but he goes into more detail. It says he feared the ships of Círdan that would come at times raiding to the shores and join with thy forays sent forth from Nargothrond. So we know that this section of the world, this northernmost part that's still close to the coast, would sometimes have elves from ships that Círdan makes join with some of the forces of Nargothrond and they would fight back against the, the orcs and the, the terrible things that were going on closer to the northern part, which is closer to where Morgoth's forces maintained more of their control. There's also the mention of spies. We always get these mentions of the enemy having spies, but I found this part particularly interesting. Why does he have spies? Well, Tolkien was insightful about this. You spy on someone because you're afraid of something. You're afraid of what they might do. He feared the ships. That's insightful in a way. You don't spy on somebody who you trust. And it seems obvious, but the fact that it's tied to fear and that fear is tied directly to Morgoth shows again that that is kind of the chink in his armor for all his power and all his control. He's constantly afraid that he will lose it. And he knows who has the, the greatest threat against him, the elves, or at least he thinks it's the elves.
So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons as usual. We've got some new ones who have signed up in the last week. Welcome to the Schwartz, Taylor H, Michael M, Braden S, and Divine Madman. I hope you're enjoying your ad-free episodes or your bonus episodes or maybe eventually the t-shirts that you'll get for joining and staying around for the next three months or longer. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. And also, we have to shout out our VIP patrons every week. And let's get through this. I'll get this as fast as I can. Here we go. AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Apollo, Aragorn III, Austin C, Azzle Razzle, Barney D, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, Death Feanor, David S, David M, Divine Madman, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gimli A Break, Gemma D, Jesse P, J Eggs, Jezer, Jokem B, Kate L, Katie S, Capenna, Lore FC, Lori B, Michael M, Nick K, Nostrils of Sauron, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, Sam B, Sauron for Life, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, and Tour Son of Whore. Wow, I don't think I messed up too badly on that one. Yeah, this is first time for everything. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting the show. I really do appreciate it. Also, we have some new reviews that came in. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I will read that out on a future episode of the show. This one comes from Spindle Broadway in Canada. In fact, both of these come from Canada today. This one says, I couldn't ask for more from a podcast. I got stuck on a 12-hour layover and, oh my God, I've done, I've been through that. <laughs> I understand. And was in desperate need for something to listen to. What became a desperate pick for background noise is now something I actively listen to in my free time. I've only reached the Sundering of the Elves, but it's scratched a Tolkien itch I didn't know I was craving. The deep dives, tangents, and humor make it a perfect mix. 
keep it secret, keep it safe, and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Spindle. And then we have one from Nico Stark. 89 in Canada who writes absolutely love this podcast I always found the Silmarillion an intimidating book to read although I love the Lord of the Rings and the lore of Middle Earth I limited myself to only reading the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy as the other books were too complex robots has a natural talent for being able to tell the tale in simple terms while still immersing you in the world Tolkien created only disappointment I am limited to giving this podcast five stars. In my opinion, it's worth 10 stars. Double the stars. That, that was my adding in. Uh, can't wait to see what Robots has in store after this. Perhaps a history on the world of ice and fire, Game of Thrones. I, I am a fan of those books as well. I haven't read all of them, so I'd have to do some prep and some research. But never say never. Might be a thing. I mean, there's part of me that's always like, oh, that sounds fun. Uh, maybe I should do that. And then there's the other part of me that's like, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> so I'm like, it's, you know, it's the yin and the yang of uh, content creation. Do I dive into it because it seems like a fun idea and people might like it? Do I give myself that much more extra work to do every week? Uh, maybe, maybe I won't say no. Maybe. We'll see. Thank you for taking the time to leave those reviews, Nico and Spindle. And also, thank you to everybody who rates the show on Spotify. There's hundreds of ratings on there now, and that is amazing. Plus, whatever podcast catcher you use other than those or sharing it with your friends, all of that stuff. You guys know how this works. All right. I'll stop yapping. Let's get back to the show. So if you thought that part was some interesting dialogue, we are about to get a dialogue dump. Well, maybe dump's not the right word. Uh, dialogue. No, maybe dump. I can't come up with any other words. A dump of dialogue from Veronwi about all sorts of things. Uh, first of all, they sit with their cloaks under the hills and we're reminded of the cloaks that keep them in shadow, keep them from the eyes of other people. Remember that? And... They talked a lot together. Basically, Tour questions Veronwe concerning Turgon, but it says here, Veronwe, uh, Veronwe, I'm probably always going to mess that up, uh, would tell little of such matters and spoke rather of the dwellings upon the Isle of Balar and of the Lisgar, uh, the land of reeds at the mouth of Sirion. So he's talking about this land that is to the south. This area that is very close to where Círdan is making the ships, where he has taken refuge much further south. And we're given some really interesting details, not only about this region, but about his journey down there and where he came from and why. So I'm going to read through almost all of this. I'm going to quote most of this because it's interesting. He says, there now the numbers of the Eldar increase, he said, forevermore flee thither of either kin. From the fear of Morgoth, weary of war. But I forsook my people not of my own choice, for after the Bragolach, the big battle that just happened, remember the one that Hur and Hurin were in where they saved Turgon's butt? Remember that? Yeah, after that happened, and the breaking of the siege of Angband, doubt first came into Turgon's heart that Morgoth might prove too strong. 
in that year, he sent out the first of his folk that passed his gates from within. So we're given this like history dump. It was in that year. Remember, they were hiding. And this is the one time that he sent out sent out people that were hiding in Gondolin back out into the world. But for what reason? A few only upon a secret errand. They went down Syrian to the shores of the mouths. So where the two rivers meet down where Kyrdin was and there built ships, but it availed them nothing save to come to the great Isle of Balar and there establish lonely dwellings far from the reach of Morgoth. So this is the founding of the elves on the Isle of Balar, 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 however it's pronounced for the Noldor have not the art of building ships that will long endure the waves of Belagar the Great. So he reminds us, the Noldor are not the great shipbuilders. They can build boats and they can work for what they need to do, but they are not of the quality of the Teleri, of Círdan. And then he goes on. But when later Turgon heard of the ravaging of the Felos and the sack of the ancient havens of the shipwrights that lie away there before us, we're kind of the direction they're in right now, and it was told that Círdan had saved a remnant of his people and sailed away south to the Bay of Balar. Then he sent out messengers anew. That was but a little while ago, yet it seems in memory the longest portion of my life. For I was one of those that he sent, being young in years among the Eldar. And now we get some insight into Veronwe, who Veronwe actually is. He's one of the younger Eldar. He wasn't one of the ones who came necessarily from Valinor. I was born here in Middle-earth, in the land of Nevrast. Remember, this is rare. It's rare for these elves to have children, but yet he is very young in comparison. My mother was of the gray elves of the Phalos and akin to Círdan himself. So we know now that he's in some ways related to Círdan. So that should tell us something, right? There was much mingling of the peoples in Neverest in the first days of Turgon's kingship. And I have the sea heart of my mother's people. That's where that comes from. So he is a mix of the Grey Elves and the Noldor. Therefore, I was among the chosen since our errand was to Círdan to seek his aid in our shipbuilding that some message and prayer for aid might come to the lords of the West ere all was lost. I love how dense these sentences are. We know they're going into the West. They're, they're petitioning the Valar for help, which we know doesn't work. But in this moment, we're also revealed that Veronwi was one of the ones sent, not just because he had a love of the sea, but because he was in some way related to Círdan himself. And that holds weight. We know all the time that Tolkien is talking about if you are from a house or from this group of people or from this family, that that holds a certain prestige or at least gives you certain qualities. But then we get even more detail about Veronwi. He says, but I tamed on the way, on his way south to Círdan. He tamed. What does that mean? Well, he goes on. For I had seen little of the lands of Middle-earth, and we came to Non-Tothrin in the spring of the year. And this is one of those moments where the detail is important. Lovely to hearts 
Enchantment is that land, Tour, as you shall find, if ever your feet go upon the southward roads down Syrian. So we're not headed in that direction. If ever you go down there, you will realize how beautiful that land is. And remember, the beauty of nature is important to the elves. They love creation. They are part of the creation. They are the part of creation in a way that reflects back on the very beauty of creation. There is the cure of all sea longing, save for those whom doom will not release. Basically, he's saying, like, we both long for the sea. I know how this feels. That, though, is a cure for that. It will kind of take precedence for a moment. Unless doom will not release you. And that's kind of a nod to Tour. He's been following his doom. And that's always a little bit stronger. Their Ulmo is but the servant of Yavanna, and the earth has brought to life a wealth of fair things that is beyond the thought of hearts in the hard hills of the north. Again, multiple layers here. Ulmo is the servant of Yavanna, the water of the sea, and Ulmo's focus, his ability, his, his realm is only there in service to Yavanna the one who grows plants and animals and life. Those two things work together. But in this realm, Yavanna is the one who is primary, is basically what he's saying. And it's way more fair than the hard hills where you're from. In that land, Narog joins Sirion. The two rivers come together and they haste no more. Basically, they slow down. And what happens when rivers slow down as they get closer to the sea? Well, he says, but flow broad and quiet through living meads and all about the shining river are flag lilies like a blossoming forest and the grass is filled with flowers like gems, like bells, like flames of red and gold, like a waste of many colored stars in a firmament of green. The elves love nothing more than the stars to liken these fields along this river this connective area of these two rivers to gems bells flames and stars is to say they are as beautiful as they are almost as important as the stars they are enchanting this little piece of nature if you've never seen it before will overwhelm you with its beauty, or at least it did that to Veronwi. Yet fairest of all are the willows of Nantathrin, pale green or silver in the wind, and the rustle of their innumerable leaves in a spell of music. The trees themselves are magical in their own way. Day and night would flicker by uncounted, while still I stood knee-deep in grass and listened. There, I was enchanted and forgot the sea in my heart. We've seen this before. This idea that an elf or a person could enter an area and be enchanted with its beauty and lose track of time, lose track of what they were planning to do. We saw this with Thingol. We saw this, in a way, with Baron. 
when he discovered Luthien, she was the beauty that enchanted him, not the land itself. And then oftentimes time is lost, right? The Thingol and Baron wandered for a very long period of time. Thingol in particular, a very long period of time. And here too, this happens to Veronwi. There I wandered, naming new flowers, or lay a dream amid the singing of the birds and the humming of bees and flies. And there I might still dwell in delight, forsaking all my kin, whether the ships of the Teleri or the swords of the Noldor. But my doom would not so. Remember, he mentioned this area would cure your sea longing, except for those whom doom would not release. Well, eventually, his doom takes control. Or the Lord of Waters himself, maybe, for he was strong in that land. He's musing here. Maybe it was doom that made me leave the land and continue with my journey, the return of his sea longing and, and all of that. Or maybe it was Ulmo himself. Remember, we know that Ulmo has been working the strings in the background in order to bring these characters together. Thus it came into my heart to make a raft of willow boughs and move upon the bright bosom of Syrian. And so I did. And so I was taken. Basically, he makes a raft and sets sail down the river. For on a day, as it was in the midst of the river, a sudden wind came and caught me and bore me away out of the land of willows down to the sea. Thus I came last of the messengers to Cirdan, and of the seven ships that he built on Turgan's asking, all but one were then full wrought. It took him a long time to get there. He shows up very late. They're almost ready with all the ships. And one by one, they set sail into the west, and none yet has ever returned nor has any news of them been heard. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.